if you're in a dispute, it's a race to see which party loses the least amount of money. And also attention and time. Very important if you are a business owner or you're running a business. But the thing about risk is risk is silent. You don't feel it. Success is the thing not happening. It's like insurance, right? The thing not happening is the win. What are three company enders that one should never agree to? Help me understand that. Hey, just quickly, and you'll notice that we don't do any ads or take any sponsorships, and we want to keep it that way. We want you to be able to just come in, get what you want, um, and then go. Um, in saying that, though, podcasts tend to grow by a word of mouth. So if you could just click the three, use your thumb, click the three dots, share it um, to your friends, uh, anyone who's in the construction industry, so they can get useful, helpful advice so they can ultimately um, make more money um, and stay in business over the long term. And I will love you till the end. Take it easy. Hey, Legends, this is part two of my interview with Andrew Denny on the Couture and Construction podcast. Today, we talk about the reality of winning a construction dispute, the three company enders that you should never agree to, and what squeaky bum time means. Enjoy. So let's say we're in one of these jobs. Let's talk about construction dispute strategy and why it's mm -hmm. important. Help our listeners understand that. Okay. So and, and, again, and before we start, just anecdotally, sure. to me, construction dispute strategy usually involves a lot of screaming. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the vendor's usually on the receiving side of that. And then it's, I guess, resolved for one person. And I joke to all of my listeners that I love dearly. But that's, you know, from a vendor standpoint, that's sometimes the how it feels that's probably not how it is yeah yeah i agree so again data-based and having done thousands of these as a company if you're driving along in a car and you stop at traffic lights and a car comes up behind you and smashes into the back of you okay you both get out of the car and he walks up to you and says i'm sorry that is entirely my fault i will take all the costs for this Okay. And you're like, oh, great, great news. That's a construction dispute. When you win a construction dispute, that is a construction dispute. But what's actually happened is you still have to get some sort of car to get you around while the car is being done. You're going to have to pay for that. You're going to have to get quotes from a panel beater. So you got your time. And probably the main one is your car is now being crashed. Even though it's been fixed, you're not going to be able to sell it for as much because you have to declare, I've sold my car. And so what I'm trying to emphasize is you still come out at a loss. Even though you won the dispute, inverted commas, won the dispute, you still come out at a loss. And so if you look at disputes like that, there's two things you've lost. One is you've lost money, without a doubt. If you're in a dispute, it's a race to see which party loses the least amount of money. And also attention and time. Very important if you are a business owner or you're running a business. And so you combine those three, this, the best dispute strategy is to realize if you're in a dispute, you're losing money. Okay, so what do I need to do? I need to avoid a dispute at all costs. So I want to avoid a dispute. Now, also, if I know that I'm going to lose money and it looks like I'm getting into a dispute, then it could be a solution to go, right, let's just come to an agreement and I'll knock a certain percentage off the cost. Because you would have had to have, you're probably not going to win the dispute. It's probably going to come somewhere in the middle or something anyway. And the second thing is, if you can knock a bit off whatever it is, even though you don't feel good about it, your ego is telling you that you want to scream at them, you are probably going to say, 
save money because you're not going to lose as much money and you are 100% going to save time and attention that you would normally have spent on this issue, which wouldn't have progressed your business. It would have ruined the relationship a little bit more. All of those things combined. It's very, very hard to swallow your ego, but it is if you're there already, you've lost money. So if you're there, try and have a negotiation and try give away a little bit. That's the way I would approach it. But to make sure that you don't get there, it is once again to be on top of your contractual paperwork, because wouldn't you rather be sitting in a meeting trying to be the good guy where you know you've done everything right, you know contractually you've done it all, everything squared away, or do you want to be sitting in that same room knowing that you've not done all of that and you're basically looking for a bit of a handout? You're basically there, cap in hand, trying to say all the things that happened and why it's not your fault, and but contractually you're not in a good position. So if you can be contractually in a good position, you're going to be far better off, and it's all about dispute avoidance. Make sure it doesn't happen in the first instance. That's what we want to do. And a big part of that would be really understanding the contract. Like the, this comes back to personal responsibility. Know that, first of all, setting clear expectations, making sure those are part of the contract and and making sure you hit that, then you are dealing from a position of strength. And I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, the old adage, time is money. These things are distractions. Things happen. It's a cost of doing business. And when you look at the companies that have been around, the people that are doing good business, that's a little bit baked into the front end. Like you're understanding that that could happen. And it could even be outside of your control. You know, something that happens in our industry, we install, you know, really beautiful custom-made hardwood floor. And it comes, it's stabilized wood, it comes pre-finished, and it's installed, but it could be damaged by somebody else after we install it. You know, a painter comes in, needs to touch up the ceiling, put scaffolding up and leaves claw marks on floorboards on the floor. Well, the client, the owner, the GC, they have a problem that needs to get resolved. Okay. But it's incumbent upon me to think holistically about the eventuality that that's going to happen. We don't do our work in a vacuum. So what do we need to do? Is it, does that happen on every job? No. Okay. But maybe if we do a hundred jobs a year, maybe if we had an extra $100, a nominal fee per job built in to cover repairs like that, dealing with resolving that strategy where the builder doesn't want it to come out of his pocket. He doesn't, in fact, know who did it. He just knows he has a problem that we can resolve that quickly and had the strategy baked in. So the time component, I think, is very undervalued sometimes. And distractions, I have noticed, are a huge part of our industry. And I believe it's that case because these are typically small teams. Mm-hmm. They're typically small teams. So time can suck up a, you know, you just you can't make any money if you're wasting time on something that's already baked. Mm-hmm. So you talk about company enders. What are three company enders that one should never agree to? Help me understand that. There's a couple of things that you can be asked to sign up to in contracts that you can get into trouble. One is what's called consequential damages or consequential loss, or to make it simple, loss of profit. So most people understand what liquidated damages are. Let me just quickly give an analogy. So imagine you've been asked to build a hotel and so you're late. And so because you're late, you have delayed other contractors and that's going to cost the owner money okay? because now the other contractors are late. And so the liquidated damages are costs of your delay to the construction project. But that's why you're reimbursing the client with those costs. 
Consequential damages are your client's inability to get profit from not being able to rent out the hotel rooms. Okay, so loss of profit from your client. The problem is, depending on your client, their loss of profit could be the size of your company. So that's one that could immediately end the company. Yeah, yeah. Okay, liability. How much liability are you accepting? Okay, so are you accepting unlimited liability, right? Are you saying that, okay, well, I'm doing a hundred grand job but if you have a hundred grand job and you have unlimited liability, you can still be taken to court or they can come after you for three, four, five million, even though you only got a hundred grand job. Hugely okay? disproportionate. It's hugely disproportionate, right? They could say, oh, the impact of what you've done is, you know, whatever. And so again, depending on how big of a company you are, that could be something that could knock your rent. So what you want to do is you want to cap your liability at the contract value at a minimum. And sorry, with the consequential loss, you want to say, no, we don't agree to consequential loss or loss or profits as a company in general. And then the last one is termination. Termination is really important because you need to be able to terminate the contract. So imagine you, you find yourself in a situation where your client hasn't paid you and this is month one, they haven't paid you. And you look in the contract and you can't terminate them for non-payment. You have to keep going, but you haven't <laughs> been paid. Now you're cash flow, you know, you're in trouble cash flow wise. You're not, and now you're going into month two, maybe even month three. And the thing is, if you stop work, you have now defaulted on your obligations of the contract to complete the work, but there's no way for you to get out unless you take them to court at like outside of the contract. In the meantime, you've taken on three months of expenses and not received any money like in the door. And so the problem there is you you run out of cash flow and you get squeezed to death. I, so what I you need in that it. scenario is, sorry, just to, to round it out, what yeah, you need in yeah, that scenario yeah. is you need to have what's called reciprocal termination, which means that you need to have a termination clause, which allows you to, which is the same as them, basically. So they can get rid of you for X, Y, Z reasons. You need to be able to get rid of them if they default on the contract. And them defaulting is essentially them not paying you. I was going to share that I've seen all everything you just mentioned in contracts mm -hmm. and it's sitting here like hearing that gives me the heebie-jeebies because they're real and they're in these contracts and that's sage advice Kim. that those are three very real things those aren't in the abstract those are everyday occurrences 100 percent. yeah and people are agreeing to them and not fully understanding what they're agreeing to that third example you just gave with the ability to terminate and how it actually puts you in default mm -hmm. and now you could be liable for the liquidated damages and the consequential damages wow wow that is uh geez that's that's powerful folks need to pay attention and i would say the there's probably people screaming at their they're sitting in the car hopefully listening to this and they're screaming right but they you know there's you know, I can't negotiate. They tell me just sign what you're given, right? And that's the that's the perception of it. And then it goes back to the commodity thing. If they think you're a dime a dozen, it's a little bit of that. Okay. However, having worked on the other side of the fence, if they're bidding and there's four or five people as part of the the people that are going out to bid, and four people try to negotiate the terms, which is about right, and then one doesn't, they don't look at you as if you're easy to deal with. They think you're green, that you don't know what you're doing. All of the big companies in your sector, just think about it now. Think about the biggest guy in your sector. Does Do you think that person negotiates their contract or not? And the answer is yes. they do Absolutely. because they know the risk. 
And it actually, what ends up happening is you actually, as long as you do it in the right way, if you do it in a way that is like professional, and if you like, for example, the, the reciprocal termination, right? You can say it's reasonable for us to be able to terminate if you default. If you want to terminate us, if we default, that's fine. Of course, that makes sense. But it's reasonable for us to be also. So we would suggest to also to make the termination clauses reciprocal. Language like that is much better than, you know, how can you expect me to sign this thing, right? Or whatever, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. And so display it in a really easy for them to implement way. They'll agree to it. And so two things will happen. One is you'll look more professional. They'll, they'll be like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. And two, you're going to reduce your risk. And the problem with risk and, and I'll be honest, Andrew, the, for our business, it's different. Like if you were a type of business that puts money in people's pockets, I just won you this project. Here's a $2 million project. Great. You feel it straight away. But the thing about risk is risk is silent. You don't feel it. Success is the thing not happening. It's like insurance, right? The thing not happening is the win, right? So you only feel the pain. So it's a pain-based thing. So you only feel it when it goes bad. And so maybe you haven't experienced it before, but it doesn't mean that the risk isn't there. It's your perception of the risk. And this is what happens in regards to safety on construction projects. The two riskiest people in the construction projects is the newbie, the guy that thinks he's, oh, I can go in, I don't need to wear a hard hat. Uh, you know, I can do whatever I want. You know, I'm, I'm young and brash and I can jump around, right? He's the guy at risk, right? Then who's the other guy at risk? He's the guy, oh, I've been on the, you know, in construction for 40 years and nothing's ever happened to me. I'm fine. They're the two biggest people in risk. But the, the thing is, risk is just a straight line. The risk is the risk, mm -hmm. regardless of how you feel about it. And that's the same with, yeah, that's the same with, with construction contracts. Wow, that is cool. That is a really cool way to look at it. Risk is silent. It's there, yeah. whether you want to acknowledge it or not. And it will eat you up if you're not prepared. Yeah. Uh, so, so another euphemism is squeaky bum time in construction. And why is it the key to your construction company's success or longevity? Talk to me about squeaky bum time. Okay, so... Hey, just two seconds and we'll get straight back to the show. We have a website called constructionsecrets.io that has got free training, free videos, everything you need to be a contractually astute company that can sign better contracts with way less risk, way less downside, and be able to make more profit on your projects. Ultimately, just be a more successful construction company that stays in business over the long term. So go check it out and become way better contractually. Um, now, let's get back on with the show. Being Irish and, you know, being a football fan. And when I say I'm a football fan, I'm, I'm a fan of when people actually use their foot in the game rather than throwing a ball, right? <laughs> I know, I know there's punting and, and whatnot. But so soccer for your listeners. And so one of the most successful managers was a guy called Alex Ferguson, right? 30 years, Manchester United, won everything. And he had the term squeaky bum time. And squeaky bum time was the last quarter of a football game when the crowd's starting to get nervous and they're shifting around in the plastic seats, it makes a noise, right? So squeaky bum time. <laughs> and so he was saying it's all about that last quarter. So here it is. We're in squeaky bum time, right? And then that's, that's it. And in construction, 
all of the disputes happen in the last quarter, right? So if you divide the project up into four, you first off, you start the project and everyone's happy to be there. New project, excited, second quarter. Okay, maybe an issue or two is popping in, but it's still okay. We're still best buddies. Third quarter, oh, it's, now it's becoming a problem. Now we're not so much friends and there's a lot of issues. Four quarter, bang. And that's typically what happens on construction projects. So knowing that in the fourth quarter is when it's all going to happen. All we're trying to do is prepare ourselves for that fourth quarter. So with our contractual documents, with notices for delays, with notices for change orders, we just want to get them in, get our change orders in, get our extension time in as and when they happen. So that when you're sitting there in the fourth quarter and you're having this argument, remember we talked about previously, you're sitting there armed with all of these documents where you're like, you've delayed us. 10 times. I mean, and we, and of those 10 times, we managed to claw back X amount of days because we're brilliant at what we do, right? It's all here. It's all in the documents. So like, why are you coming after us? And remember, they're a finance company. If this overruns, what are they trying to do? They're trying to claw back some cost. So we want sure. them to look at you and say, hey, they've got too much documentation in place. They're going to be too difficult. Let's go and try and claim some money from somebody else. Find the newbie. Find a newbie. Yes. The guy who signed just what he was, yeah. what he was given. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. That is brilliant. And it's an incredible way to look through this. Man, that's that's one that we will use internally. And it's it's finishing strong. It's, again, just doing what you're supposed to do. This is the way these guys collect business. But the, the point you make about not making yourself an easy target is really, I think, something that our listeners should pay attention to and, and heed that advice. And you do it through being a pro. You do it absolutely through being a pro and being able to back up and document what you're doing. But I love squeaky bum time. What a great way to look at that. What a great analogy. Just out of curiosity, is, is Manchester your team? Yes. Or, <laughs> yes, okay. they are my team. Yes, for a long time. Okay. Well, as you know, soccer has been a little slow to catch on in America. But here in Nashville, we have a major league soccer team. And actually, it just opened. Uh, we have the Nashville SC here in Nashville, and it just opened. Last year was the inaugural season. Their new stadium is about two blocks from where I'm sitting, and it's the largest soccer-specific stadium in North America. Uh, wow, so the community here absolutely loves it. I've been to a couple games. It's really it's easy to catch on. It's really an exciting sport. It reminds me of ice hockey and football combined, and uh, just nonstop action, nonstop athleticism. I can see why it's the global sport of choice. So, Have you seen Welcome to Wrexham? No, no. So there's a TV show to watch. It's called Welcome to Wrexham, so W-R-E X-H-A-M. And it's about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, who oh. go to the UK. They buy a football team and it's a season of that football team. And then the second season has just, just finished. And I'm not going to ruin anything, but is definitely where to watch. It's brilliant. Second season is going to be even better because I know what happened in real life because you can see it in, in the news and stuff. But yeah, it's definitely where to watch. It's really, really good. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, that'll go with my Ted Lasso because that I think that's <laughs> done a lot too to, to uh, I think so, bring yeah. about a lot of soccer fans here in, in the yeah. US. So what about, what is the for clients? How do better construction contracts help the client? Obviously, we understand how they help the GC. We understand mm -hmm. how they can help the vendor. But how mm -hmm. do they ultimately help the client? 
So the client has, because the GC member, they, they're the finance company, their goal is profit, right? They're in business to make profit. But the owner's goal is different. Owner wants the thing, wants the outcome. And so they need to look at when, similarly, they need to look at contracts kind of differently in that, you know, I want the outcome. So what's the best way for me to get the outcome without overspending or, or whatever it happens to be? And so it's obviously you need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself against risks of, of stuff not happening and protecting like the, your liquidated damages, making sure that's all in a row, getting all your ducks in a row. But if you're able to help, in my view, with cash flow, it can really, really help. Before I get there, let's take a step back. You need to be sure it's less about price and it's more about can this company actually finish the job? And that's a big deal now after COVID, lack of materials, lack of people. I'm sure in the flooring industry yourself, like getting materials may have been hard for a particular period of time. And so can these guys actually finish the work? What's their credit rating? Have they defaulted before? Have they got whatever? I look into the companies very deeply and then look at what they've done before. Once you're confident they can actually do the job and they're a proper organization, a proper outfit, then what you want to do is, in my view, is you want to help them be cash flow positive. Because if you're going to be helping them be cash flow positive, they're going to be able to secure materials, going to be able to secure people and get the work done. Now, you've got to tie in that you don't spend money without them doing work. So if you can make them cash flow positive, but stipulate in milestone payments, you need to have completed X, Y, and Z before you get to this milestone. In my view, that's the best way to structure it. Milestone payments, but still a lump sum contract with liquidated damages is probably the best way to go. I love that. And that provides a win-win. Um, yeah. You're exactly right. What the client ultimately wants is to mitigate risk, but to get the outcome that they need for whether it's a dwelling to live in or a business to operate out of or an investment that generates income. That's what they want and need. And the fact of the matter is, is that I believe construction, one of the reasons we started our podcast was to help people understand how to navigate construction because it has a very negative connotation with work not being completed, with people mm -hmm. being left high and dry. So ultimately, I, I believe the client, the end user, that's their biggest fear is that they are the ones because they have a ton of liability. If they mm -hmm. step into it and they contract out and they issue a deposit or whatever in it, and you're dealing with somebody that can't fulfill the obligation, mm -hmm. that may cause a little bit of pain for the guy that went out of business. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's awful. But for them, they're hemorrhaging at the same time as well. Now they're at risk to have the same fate because it can't be executed. They could lose their financing. They could, any number of things could happen. So it's one thing for somebody to vet based on craftsmanship. It's another to vet based on making sure that it can be complete. You know, there's countless stories of how that doesn't happen. So that's great advice. You have been absolutely unbelievable to speak with. Like just so, I've learned so much in this. So many unexpected things. So I'm really thankful for that. Tell us something that you want to promote about yourself or Quantum. I mean, and who do you work with? Like, that's what I'd really like to understand. Tell me who you work with. We work with predominantly large, reasonably large subcontractors. So minimum would be 5 million in revenue in the subcontracting space. So large enough that you've got tricky enough contracts that you need to negotiate and sign and GCs, but GCs that are doing a lot of bidding for projects. So typically there are two clients. So we work in all in construction across 
oil and gas, mining, commercial, less so residential. Um, so that's it across all states in the US and Australia, New Zealand, and more recently Canada as well. Just for people that are listening, the only thing I really want to promote is if you go to Construction Secrets, the podcast, and if you just listen to the podcast from first episodes to where we are now, you can do it all yourself. You can just listen to it. I give you exactly what you need to do all the way through. And so you can educate yourself. And so the, the main thing, the main purpose of the, the podcast is upskilling people to be able to fend for themselves so they don't get ripped off, so they understand the business side of construction so that they can essentially do stay in business. The way sometimes I chat about it is that they're like the, you know, the subcontractors are like the bees in construction, you know that whole analogy where if the bees go missing, then all of a sudden it's all gone. Stuff, stuff, stuff's getting pollinated, and then all the crops die. And apparently, it all comes down to the bees. So that's how I look yes. at subcontractors. Yeah. Subcontractors go out of business. All of a sudden, no one's doing any construction, and construction grinds to a halt. So I'm quite passionate about it. And so just by listening to that podcast, Construction Secrets, you'll hopefully get upskilled and get everything that you need. And then, if you want us to do it for you, go to QuantumContractSolutions.com. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, well, I will be becoming an avid listener that I can assure you of. It is time for our rapid fire segment. Ken, what is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh, Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis. Ah, I bet you can do that well with that accent. <laughs> uh, favorite holiday? Christmas. Okay. It's going, but going back to Ireland, typically. I typically go back to Ireland for Christmas. It's cold oh, and great. a couple yeah. of pints of Guinness. Nice, nice. Texting or talking? I probably do more texting, but I definitely prefer talking. Nah, you're like me then. You're like me. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. This has really been amazing. You've invested time into our podcast, and I'm very grateful for that. And you're joining us all the way from Australia. So very, very cool. You have an amazing perspective and tools for people to navigate construction contracts. Share with us one more time how our guests can follow you or how our uh, listeners can follow you. You can search Quantum Contract Solutions or search Construction Secrets. Any, there's YouTube channel, there's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Just search Construction Secrets or my name, Keen Brennan, and you'll find it. Um, and that's it. Check it out. Learn some stuff. Yeah.